0: this is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on v
2: Okay,
3: this is the Lombardi line as we welcome you back here on v the sports betting Network. I'm Patrick Maher. He, of course, is Michael Lombardi. So this is interesting, and I want to use this as more of a broader conversation as how you would handle this, because as I take a look at the board right now, Michael, you know, Willis is minus 150 to be the first quarterback off the board. Pickett's plus 140, and then it gets to Ritter at 10 to 1, and Matt Corral at 15 to 1. I bring up corral because there was an offensive coordinator that told albert Breer this quote he's kind of a mess i'm not sure you want him leading your program his issues aren't the kind of that are solved by throwing millions of dollars at him he had a low wonder lick we know what happened not necessarily all the details in his past he dealt with depression i think there was some substance abuse but this is a guy long beach polytech of course a legendary high school i think he started at oaks christian uh, there in Southern California. The pedigree's there. He was coached by Kiffin in, in college. Well, how, how does a front office discuss and handle somebody like Corral?
4: You know, you've got to be so politically sensitive to saying somebody's not the intellectual player that you want. But in the NFL, when you're on the other side, you've got to determine some intelligence some way. And how do teams do that, right? Especially for the quarterback. Uh, so what you try to do is you send them – you know, five or six pages of your offense. And you say, look, we're gonna be coming down there in three days, why don't you study this? We're gonna to go to the, we're gonna do some blackboard stuff, then we're gonna go on the field. You just spend the day with you. And then you go through it. You kind of formulate that opinion. Then you fly them into one of your 30 visits and you kind of revisit what you've done and then see where you are. In talking to the teams that I've talked to, neither Willis nor Corral really handle those assignments very well. They just don't. Now, that's not, I'm not calling them dumb. I'm just saying from a football standpoint, the ability to retain, the ability to flow and add more volume. What gets good players in trouble is volume. The volume, the stacking of all this information that you have to process through. Both those quarterbacks were not very good. Both of them were disappointing. And I think the quote that Breer has today is very similar to the quote that I've heard from teams. I don't know if we could turn our team over to this kind of guy. Because what fans don't understand, the mockers don't understand, is that player represents who you are when you bring them in the locker room. That's who you are. And if you're willing to take a guy that doesn't really care about some things, that says you don't care. And I think that's the biggest issue. So let's let's tally it up. You've got guys with that lack the mental skills, the leadership skills that you want for the position. And then you have doubts about their playing skills. How does that make any sense that five quarterbacks should get drafted in the first round?
3: It is true. We have to be delicate with this type of thing, but I mean, there are tests, the wonderlick test. I don't know how much, you know, credence you put into it, but they are making big time investments in these guys. And, playing any position or having any job, intelligence and competence comes into it. It's just a fact.
4: Well, I mean, the Wunderlich test was invented not for football. It was invented for businesses. E.J. Wunderlich invented it in 1948, you know, to test people in certain levels of jobs. The Wunderlich is just a starting point. It's all it is. Just like all this stuff is a starting point. You begin. You know, you find out, okay. And then what you realize, what I've realized through being in the NFL, is Sir Kenneth Robinson, the, the English uh, author who's written a lot of great books about education in, in, our, in the country, in the United States, and in the United Kingdom, is some people are just not very good at being able to take tests. We know this. And it's unfair to characterize somebody smart or not based on a test score. Fair enough. I agree with that completely. Like, I don't look at the look and say, well, he's really smart and he's really not. I mean, sometimes guys that have a high Wunderlich don't play smart. Some guys that have a low one, like, play really smart. Okay, you've got to examine it. And you move forward from it. But it gives you an indication. And what the offseason is able to do is you can really integrate the player into your system and then determine what he can learn and what he can't. And you reach a conclusion. You say, okay, we've done this. We've done these testing. We've spent this much time with him. Here's where we are, and he can't do it. He can't do it. Now, that's the part that none of the draft people outside of the leagues can do. They can only grade the tape. But on the tape, there's evidence to support what you're seeing. Why would you run the ball? Then watch Willis. He runs the ball into a loaded front. Why? Why would you run the ball in a loaded front? Like the, You don't have the numbers over here. Why don't you just auto it? Just opposite, opposite. Just call it. Well, but they didn't do that in our office. Oh, okay, you didn't do that in your office? Everybody does that. OC High School does that. Loaded front, move it over here. So what you're doing is everything that you glean off the field, you then apply to on the field, and it shows up. And if it shows up, you're like, well, wait a minute. If it's showing up there, it's going to show up when we get them. Like we're not that great of coaches to think that we can absolve this. Now, where you get into variable concerns is like Thibodeau. Is he a, you know, where is he effort? All those things. You got to figure out the heart of a player. How important is it? That's really that's 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 key. But in terms of a quarterback and your ability to evaluate his intelligence, there's enough. It's not the wonder lick that you're basing it on.
3: So just to reiterate, you're hearing similar feedback from teams in regards to
4: Corral and Willis. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's, you can't hide from it. And, and you can't hide from it. It's there. It shows up. And then Corral's problem is durability. Like you're worried about him staying healthy. Again, you know, people take this as you're attacking. I remember when I said something bad about, uh, uh, oh, Josh Rosen. When I critiqued Josh Rosen, J.J. Watt came out on Twitter and ripped me for saying something bad. It it ended up being right, you know, but you're not allowed to say it before the draft. Like, I'm sorry. This is what people get paid to do. You're evaluating them. I'm not taking it personally. You know, this is what what it is. They're not all great. I know on Thursday night they're all going to be great. They're not all great. I hate to break that to you.
3: Can you remember an example, let's stick with quarterback,
4: of somebody that
3: everybody universally had this kind of take? Maybe they didn't do well with the test and the wonderlick, and maybe there were questions about character, and they overcame some of that. Or is there anybody that stands out?
4: Well, like Danny Marino, you know, lower test score of but when you went and spent time with Dan Marino, there was no—he was there. There was no doubt. He knew everything that was going on the field. He knew what all everybody was doing. So you put that away. Montana, Montana's a third-round pick, got benched at Notre Dame. Was keep getting replaced. You know, didn't score as high on the wonderlick Yada yada. Wasn't a great leader. Didn't really. All he did was lead his team from behind and win the game. But he wasn't a vocal leader. Yeah. So this kind of goes through all the time with quarterbacks. You kind of go through it. But that's why you just can't stop. There's no red lights. You're just. Every every place you're going is a yellow light. It brings caution to where you reach a conclusion. Remember, the, the key to scouting is to never begin with the end in mind. And so when you, when you don't do that, you collect data along the way that will allow you to analyze once you've had all the data in. You have to become a judge, not ruling on this case until all the evidence is presented. And in the quarterbacks, that you do that. So... There's been many guys that have been labeled not so smart. Dak Prescott, but he went to the Senior Bowl, and that Cowboy coaches coached him. There's no problem here. It's interesting. Herbert, no problem here. And, and money does accentuate whether
3: it's our good qualities or our bad qualities. I think it is an, it's important. In the quote, it says it's not the type of issues that are solved by giving millions of dollars. I mean, you and I weren't handed millions of dollars at 21 years old. I don't know how I would have handled it either.
4: No, I, I don't know either. But I know this is that the love of the game matters more. Sure. And how important it is, you know, for Johnny Manziel, it wasn't important. You know, and, and Manziel is one of those players you put in a category. He maybe had enough talent to play. He didn't have the intangibles to play, you know, and, and that's as important. So, yeah, I think you've got to kind of equate that. Plus, here's the thing. Here's the most important factor. You want your quarterback to be the leader of your team, ideally. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Montana didn't lead the 49ers. He directed the 49ers, and, he, and everybody had faith in him to lead the team back. But he wasn't a vocal captain. Ronnie Lott on the other side of the field to do all that, right? But, some, but his personality, his competitive personality, got through to the 49er team. It's the same thing you want for your quarterback. When we had Vinny Testaverdi, Vinny wasn't a great leader, you know, he was a quiet young kid who somebody we had our personality never could go through him. When you want to draft a quarterback in the first round, ideally, you want the personality, of the team to be with him and have him take over the team. Because then he sets the tone of intolerance for anything that gets in the way of winning, it makes it easier for you. But when you have a guy that you're not sure of, that's where you're worried about him off the field and he's your team leader and he's your captain, you got chaos.
3: And it's a delicate balance, too, just to kind of take it away from the quarterback. Santos brought up a great example. Remember Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger? I mean, he was in danger really of losing well. everything because of weed. And he was very open about his struggles and went to rehab. I don't know if there's more in a more esteemed character at this point
4: in the league. No, uh, you know, and when we, and I was in the run, was with the Browns. We spent a lot of time talking to him. He flat out told it. he said, I'm, I, I don't think I can get off weed. But mm-hmm. that was 13. When weed wasn't looked at as it's looked today, legal in certain states. So, you know, back in 1986, marijuana was a death kill. You know, it was like you take them off the board. Nobody really understood it. We make so many bad assumptions based on socials that we don't spend enough time getting involved in it and understanding part of what it is. I mean, that was Josh Gordon's problem. Josh Gordon's problem was he grew up in an environment that really that marijuana was part of that environment. The problem was the rules said he couldn't stop and he couldn't stop. Yeah. He was open about it.
3: He's a, and he's a high yeah, character I mean, guy and a leader.
4: Was, yeah. Josh Gordon, you know, there's, I mean, he was a different kid, but I mean, he was fine, but he just couldn't, marijuana was part of his life. Yeah. Pardon me.
3: I'm, <clears throat> pardon me. I'm not Gordon, but Matthew, who's, you know, you feel, you just feel so Same badly. Thing. He's when a he's, leader. He's a great leader. And you just, every time I see the Gordon stories, I gotta be honest, I pull for him. I just, because you hate to see something like that debilitate somebody's potential. And uh, yep. that's exactly what's happened. Cause that guy had potential oozing with potential. The Eagles, I just looked down and I saw the Eagles being mentioned. What are they 15 and 17? When we come back, mm-hmm. I wanna get an idea. If you have an idea of what they're gonna do in the first round, we'll come back here in Lombardi line. It's feasting the sports betting network.
4: To the Lombardi Line on V
0: featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher.
3: Okay, it is the Lombardi Line as we welcome you back. Of course, you got the three in the association tonight, starting with Brooklyn hosting the Celtics, 76ers hosting the Raptors, uh, Dallas hosting Utah. We'll get to those uh, before we get out of here. Josh is going to join us next as well. I wanted to ask you about the Eagles. You are so close to Philly there, they've got the mm-hmm. two first rounders. I think what, look, they have needs outside of quarterback. It's just it's creating this this fascinating setup for them because what if one of those quarterbacks that maybe they value slips to them yet they seemingly have gone all in on Jalen Hurts. Like, where do they stand right now, the Philadelphia Eagles?
4: I think when they traded that first round pick, I think they told you they don't see a quarterback. I don't don't think they wanted to pick three outside players. I think they wanted to take that pick and move it into next year, see if they could get themselves in a position to draft one next year based on the crop that comes out. So I think that was a move to tell you, look, there's nobody here. I think in this draft, more than any draft, this is a horizontal board draft. We're all going to try to make it a vertical board draft, meaning you're going to fill your team needs based on the vertical board. We need a corner, we're taking a corner. We need a safety, we're taking a safety. This is a horizontal board draft in all its entirety. And what does that mean? That means you can't go into the draft, especially if you're Howie Roseman, picking in the first round with your team need chart next to it. You just got to pick good players because there's just not enough good players. And if you pass a good player to fill a need and you'll get an A from Mel or you'll get an A from Todd, you know, you'll get a D at the end of the rainbow. So you've got to really pay close attention to what you feel like are the best players. And what's the value for that? Is if it Jamison Williams and you could redshirt him for a year, why not? You know, I mean, that would be your third first-round pick at receivers, which to me would be ridiculous that you've made this many first-round picks. You know, they'll probably give away lo- rigor at some point during the draft. But I think ultimately you just got to take the best players. If it's an offensive guard, take them. If it's an offensive tackle, take them. If it's a defensive tackle, take them. I mean, if, if Jordan Davis makes it to them down there at 15 and they don't take them, they're crazy. Because they the one thing that they've been able to do is win with inside pressure from Fletcher Cox, who's not the same player. And Davis is a rare, rare, special, uh, special player. Now, people, the first thing they'll tell you, everybody runs the analytical numbers. He's not very good against pass rush. Okay. I get that. He's not going to be Aaron Donald of the pass rush. What he's going to do is collapse the pocket,
3: swallow up linemen because he's huge. I mean, he's just a exactly. You know, it's one he's of those guys. The, He's to push,
4: he's going to, what's happened to the game today? is the edge rushers are getting all the attention, and deservingly so. Guys that can win off the edge the Miles Garrett. But really, the game has become an inside, in the paint game. If you can't get in the paint, if you can't get in the paint, you can't win. You can't stop a great quarterback. Brady could care less about the guys coming off the edge. He cares about the guys in the paint and guys getting in his face and keeping him from throwing. What, what limits Mayfield? What limits Kyler Murray? What limits all these short quarterbacks as guys in the paint? Think about this. You're gonna take Malik Willis before you're gonna take Jordan. Jordan Davis lines up and pushes the pocket back. You won't even see Malik Willis. He'll be engulfed. You won't even see him. And that's what that's what you need. That's why, to me, his value has been. And it's kind of a every no one talks about it, which makes me suspicious of that. Everybody's gonna that he's gonna go earlier than people think. <laughs> so people are
3: mum on Davis, which means he's probably gonna go higher than you think. We we hear about other guys exactly, and they slip. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question, dominating from the interior like Donald has, is it the uniqueness of him that he's so quick and powerful
4: and did was that scene coming out of Pitt? You know it was, but I, it's the combination of the two, right? It's the combination of the two now Donald coming out of Pitt was undersized, so people didn't think didn't think that power that you that he displayed at Pitt would be able to translate against bigger human beings you know because he, he's kind of he's not a tall man no. But Davis's power is universal. I mean, it doesn't matter where he is. But to me, I think the game has changed back to the era of when we had great tackles—the Allen Pages, the the Bob Lillies, those guys inside, Randy White's, those players inside that affected the game. I think this is where we're headed back to because the, you got to get in front of the quarterback. Too much—the the ball gets out of the quarterback's hands so quickly. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's evidenced by Joe Burrow playing behind a bad offensive line. You know, if you could push guys into Burrow, Burrow had trouble, which is what happened if you go back and watch the Tennessee tape when they had nine sacks. When Jeffrey Simmons is dominating inside, that was why they were struggling.
3: You're right about that. Yeah, you're right about uh, Donald. I had a chance to cover the team a couple of times. He's not very tall, but he has this build, Michael, where you very much do not want to mess with him. I mean, he is proportional. Like, it's unbelievable in person. There are some of those guys that kind of shock you in person. He was shockingly shorter than I thought, but very much as built as you would, you know, very much built like you would think.
4: Well, his dad was a weightlifter and his dad kind of got him motivated into lifting weights. And so at an early age, 12, 13, he kind of got inspired to lift and he would go into his basement at five in the morning with his dad and they would start working out together. And this manifested itself into becoming part of where he gets all the he generates all this incredible power, you know, and when he has this power in his lower body, football is a lower body sport. There's no denying it. It's where you generate your power, the explosion that you can create when you tackle. And so, you know, he has that. And so does Jordan Davis. I mean, you don't run 4.85 at 335 pounds and not have lower <laughs> body incredible. strength. You yeah. just don't do that. It's just not, it's just not common. I and mean, Bridget- if I'm going to take, if, if there's anybody in this draft that you're going to sit there and say has the highest, highest threshold of potential, it's Davis. You, you get him, you get a dominating inside tackle. I truly believe we're headed back to where, you know, the tackles matter as much. People say, well, you don't need a run stuffer. It's not about run stuff. It's about pushing the pocket.
3: Reggie White back in the Remember Reggie's base back in
4: the day? He was
3: so thick down low.
4: He had one movie at a club move. He was like, no time for start. <laughs> All he did was hit, you know. But I mean, the guy he's so that, effective. Do you remember Jumpy Gathers? Do you remember Jumpy Gethers, remember jumpy gethers when he used to forklift you? Jumpy Guthers, a second-round pick out of Wichita State. It was Bum Phillips when he was at the New Orleans Saints picked him, and everybody kind of laughed. at Who's the Wichita State, you know? And and literally he had this jackhammer move where he would just start in on you, and he would take his two hands and lift you off the ground, no matter how big the guard was, and throw you one way or the other. And he was a disruptive pass rusher. He didn't get sacks. He's never going to the Hall of Fame because he didn't have the numbers, but he impacted the game. You would, you would go play New Orleans with Jumpy. You'd say, oh, and then he went to Washington. you like, oh, we can't block him.
3: You know, the guy coming out on the inside that we thought was going to be Donald and ended up being great, but not Donald great was Sue out of Nebraska. Cause Sue, I mean, he, he was built, like, he's Reggie white, the way he was built. Right. But, and he has been a great yeah, pro, I mean, but I- not Donald all time. I- great.
4: Right, but I think Sue, and to be honest, Sue and, and Davis are similar in what they do. And one guy, Sue, was the, what, the first pick overall in the draft, and, and Davis is talking about going in the teens. So I mean, that's, that's know, interesting. So it, that's a good comp, Sue, because they're
3: such mammoth really men, and, and they're comp. so
4: athletic. They're so athletic, and, they're so, and they can dominate. I mean, you just don't – look, the, the part of the draft is finding pe- unique qual- people. You know, the, the, one of the reasons you have a dra- rating system in the draft is to eliminate you from reaching on players, to eliminate you from uh, becoming a team of exceptions, becoming too small. When you get a true size speed player with rare skills, that's what the draft's about. That's why it would make Baker Mayfield, the first pick overall in the draft, somewhat questionable for John Dorsey, who's a complete size speed guy.
3: I got a great, great quote for you from Niang, Uh, George's Niang there with the Philadelphia 76ers. He was talking about shifted
4: back to. Yeah, yeah, but
3: watch this. He said he was talking about Joel Embiid and he was asked about Embiid battling through the injury and adversity. And he said, quote, that's Joe. This guy wants a championship more than anybody.
4: Just a little positivity. That's a little positivity. We're going to find out tonight where his positivity is. We'll find out. I mean, he's got to play at a better pace. I mean, let's face it. Hey, I have a question
3: for you randomly because Josh is coming up next. You're a hell of a lot better at Twitter than I am. What is the big deal if Elon Musk buys Twitter? Can you t- explain this to me, please?
4: You know, I think the big difference here is is that instead of Twitter shutting down misinformation, which obviously instead of... I guess what I would say is Twitter has gone through and, and and deactivated people who they think are giving out misinformation. Okay. My only guess of what I've read is is that Musk wants freedom to say whatever you want to say, whether it's true or not.
3: So he wants a completely wide right. open forum that won't be in any way That won't censored. censor
4: based on political right wing, left wing. Because it seems like it's the biggest news. I guess news. that's all I'm saying. Uh,
3: yeah. No, I that's that's what I gather. I thought I'd follow up with you. Because it does appear that Musk it sounds is,
4: like he's got a, he's got the deal. I he guess does, got I, a it, way it's, it's being maybe. reported
3: that he bought t- Twitter. I mean, let's see. It only cost him, I think, a little over forty-six billion. Yeah, forty-six and a half billion dollars. So maybe you and I should put our savings together and <laughs> see if we can one up it. Forty-six and I a mean, half well, bill.
4: It's unbelievable, isn't it?
3: <laughs> it says Elon Musk is Twitter's new daddy. Okay. Well, we shall see. It'll, it, it is the wild, wild west, that forum and that social uh, situation. Okay. When we come back, Josh, we'll get back to the NBA uh, with Mr. Market Insights. And we've got plenty more on the draft coming up. Of course, this Thursday, Industry Standard here on v We've got you covered as far as the draft's concerned. Michael Lombardi is going to be out in Vegas as well to cover it. We continue. It is the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. This is v the Sports Betting Network.
0: to the Lombardi line on v featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi now once again here's Patrick Maher
3: okay v spring specialist here I've been telling you about it all weekend 59 bucks you get everything we offer through July so here's what you're going to get Adam Burke who did a great job with the MLB betting guide MLB best bets daily Jonathan Von Tobel, daily best bets through the playoffs in NBA Annie McNeil Daily through the Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay, so that and you get NFL preseason coverage, UFC, USFL, NASCAR, everything we offer. It's the full vsin experience. So go to VSEN.com/spring. It's a great offer. VSEN.com/spring for more information. It's only 59 bucks. As we welcome you back. Here on the Lombardi line, I'm Patrick Maher, live from the VEASAN studios here at the South Point. Michael Lombardi there in Jersey. We head up to New England and say hi to our buddy, Mr. Market Insights, Josh Applebaum. You can find the pod, VEASAN.com slash podcast, and betting across America here on VEASAN. I heard you talking to Kevin, our engineer, earlier, and you were all hype about the Celtics catching one tonight in Brooklyn. Maybe we should start there, Josh. Yeah, we should. Patrick, Michael,
6: great to be with you. Michael, I know you're jacked. It's uh, NFL Draft Week, so it's going to be a a great week here overall. But, yeah, guys, this is kind of a play to me that, you know, you're seeing the eye test kind of match with the way that the line is moving across the market. So Celtics are up 3-0 this series. They have a chance to sweep away the Nets, get some rest, which I think is critical before they play their next matchup here. Right now, up 3-0. The Celtics are minus 5,000 on the series price. Uh, Brooklyn is plus 1,400 if you think they can come back, even though no team has ever come back 3-0 in the NBA. But what's really jumping out to me, guys, is the public, even though it's not hugely lopsided on the Nets, they still won't quit the Nets. At BetMGM, you're still getting about 52% of bets on the Nets, a slight, slight majority. It's not overwhelming or anything. But what has the line done? The line has moved toward Boston. A lot of these books open. Celtics actually getting two points or even two and a half at some shops. The line is all the way down to one now at this point. So the line, and again, one thing I learned early in betting, guys, is if percentages are 50-50, theoretically a line shouldn't move at all. If the raw tickets are even, but we know that not all the tickets are created equally. They're, you know, dime wagers. They're $5 bets. Seems to me that like the, the, the public is leaning slightly to the nets, but these bigger wagers are saying, Hey, I'm, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'll sweat the Celtics here. So the fact that they fell Boston plus two, two and a half down to one tells me some big money in their favor. And also guys keep an eye out for our buddy, Scott Foster tonight. He's one of three road refs tonight, all about 52 to 56% to the road team. I'll take the Celtics plus one.
4: Scott Foster. Where, where, vibes. where do we have Scott Foster? Where do we have him? I, I didn't check on that. Oh, he's at the Brooklyn game. I got it. Okay. Yep. I got you.
3: As long as he stays away from Chris Paul. Cause those two are like <laughs> mortal enemies for 14. Can you believe it? It's, <laughs> it's the ones it's the stat that people outside of Betty knows uh, that they outside <laughs> of Betty know uh, Raptors 76ers. Josh set us up on the series and the game tonight. Yeah. So series right
6: now, guys, Philly up three to one. You did see Toronto uh, stave off elimination. in Their last game here, you got Scotty Barnes back, which was a big boost to them. So they're coming off a win in the last game, but three to one Philly can again, get rid of the Raptors here in advance Philly on the series price minus 10,000. So that tells you what the odds makers think. They think Philly's going to win this thing, but will it be tonight and will they cover Toronto's plus 2000 to come back and win this series? But guys, I'm looking at kind of a line freeze-ish type situation. Like, according to BetMGM, it's 49%, 51%, slightly in favor here of the Raptors. But the line is is stated, Raptors, or sorry, Sixers minus eight, and really, it's it stayed at 8, or if you look at line movement, which I think is critical, don't just look at the opening number and the current number. If you have access to line history, you want to look at every little move in between. And what I noticed is, at different times, shops fell to 7.5. So it's 8, seven and a half, eight, 7.5. It's kind of gone back and forth. It's never gone to now. So that tells me there could be a little bit of liability here on the Raptors in this spot. Uh, again, you have three road refs in this one as well. Uh, you're looking at, uh, who is it? James Williams, John Goble, Trey Maddox, all between... 52 and 54% ATS of the road team. So Michael, I'll throw this one at you, our, our, our Sixers Whisperer. Uh, any thoughts there on the Raptors plus eight? Do they keep this close tonight?
4: You haven't been paying attention to the show over the weekend or the whole thing. I'm all over it, Josh. I mean, I think this is one they win. And if they win this one, they will be the first team to overcome the 3-0. I mean, there's no doubt. I, I think they, they they played them well. In real, in fairness, and I'm not trying to be a homer here or I'm trying to uh, dupe anybody. I think if you watch the second game, the third game in Toronto, Philly was really lucky to win that game. And the Toronto could easily be saying they're a 2-2. And I think Nick Nurse is telling his team that. Van Fleet not playing. I think they can overcome that. But the energy level and the intensity level that Toronto played with in Toronto was much different than it was in Philly. If they match that, I think they win tonight.
3: Josh, we've got a 2 2 series in Dallas heading back to Dallas with, of course, the Utah Jazz and Dallas Mavericks. I, I'm actually seeing the board light up a little bit going a couple shops, two and a half. What's the deal here? Yeah, this one's kind of the, one of your most even series,
6: as you mentioned, Patrick, two to two overall. But this is the one game tonight, if you're a contrarian better, that you are really laser focused on because this is by far the most lopsided playoff game of the night. According to BetMGM, 88%. Of bets, almost 90% are on the Mavericks laying this short number. But what have we seen? The line's actually dipped a little bit. You know, we're showing three on our screen, but you're right, Patrick. At least a couple of shops are hitting at maybe a two and a half. What's notable is the Mavericks actually open laying three and a half points. So if you're getting 88% of bets, an overwhelmingly, you know, lopsided majority, and it's a 930 game, the late games always tend to be the most heavily bet. Games with the most public money. Uh, why is this line falling toward the Jazz three and a half down to three? Tells me you took in a little bit of respected money here on Utah. Uh, and I think you're kind of buying low on Utah here because they have not done well ATS. Like they won that first game and covered by, I think, a half point or a point when Doncic was out in game one. But since that time, they were favored by five and you lose. You're favored by eight and a half and you lose. You're favored by five and a half the last game. You win on that go bear, like last second buzzer beater. But they haven't been covering numbers. The public loves Doncic. on the Mavs guys, yet the line is falling. I'll take Jazz plus three here.
3: Okay, there it is. And the news this morning when I woke up, uh, Walker had flipped Hutchinson. Josh, what's going on with that draft market right now?
6: Yeah, so I I apologize to Michael because I haven't tuned in the show earlier today. So if you guys hit on it, I apologize. I was working on the Market Insights pod. But, Michael, for my own selfish reasons, you got to tell me whether this is a smokescreen or this is real. Because Trayvon Walker, this whole number one overall pick has been a roller coaster. You know, you go back like a year. You had Thibodeau as thought to be the favorite. Then you had Hutchinson the favorite for quite a while. Evan Neal made a push. Uh, over the last week, Thibodeau came back into play for number two. But for whatever reason, and Trent Balky read the tea leaves, Michael, you know better than me. He likes that physical specimen with the high upside. Last 24 hours, Trayvon Walker went from around plus 200 to now minus 175 to be the first overall pick. So, uh, Michael, I'd love your thoughts on this one. I apologize if you already addressed it.
4: No, I, I mean, I think, you know, look, today's Monday. A lot of the mock, you know, Peter King, all these, everybody comes out with their stuff. Do I think that has affected the market? Not really. I think this has been the undercurrent that's been going on in Jacksonville that we've heard that it's been Walker. Balky likes Walker. The Kahn family may like Hutchinson. Neil's still in play today. Just recently, based on this market movement, uh, Kahn said that you know they 're going to sit down and meet on Wednesday to finalize their details he 's intimately involved in the decision making of this pick and so do I think there's a decision 's been reached? I think everybody that talks to anybody in Jacksville thinks it 's Walker because that 's what Balki has wanted for the last month. Will that happen? It remains to be seen interesting thing is what does Detroit do, Patrick, is if Thibodeau's there and Hutchinson's yes. there and they love Thibodeau, do they go with Hutchinson <laughs> when they know Thibodeau's rare? See, one thing about Thibodeau that people – his ten times are incredible, which is, indicates great pass rush, which – you know, could, Thib, could Hutchinson slip? Well, here with a fan base that
3: has been beaten for so long, obviously the public sentiment is going to be all Hutchinson, Michael went to Michigan, right. born and raised in Michigan. It's, it's very interesting to see if the organization loves Thibodeau. And that's what we're hearing. If they push back on a fan base, then has kind of been beaten. So, cause there won't be sentiment like this for a player in a long time. I mean, he couldn't be more. He grew up 10 miles outside of Detroit. So that's Hutchinson. So it it will be fascinating if this organization and the personnel doesn't get run over by public sentiment. And I I would right. imagine that matters. But, but, you're selling tickets.
4: Well, but no because you have to ask yourself the question you have to ask yourself if you're Brad Holmes or if you're Dan Campbell is would we take Hutchinson if he grew up in Eugene? Like right. is he the best pl- you got you got you got to divorce yourself because people are going to come to, to, to watch the Lions play, whether the kids grow up in Michigan or whether they grow up in New Mexico. it's gonna, The winning's going to matter more than anything. And I think that's the question. And, and just the tea leaves tell me everybody assumes they would take Hutchinson, but I'm not so sure of that. I think if they love Thibodeau and they think he's an elite player, I think they take him. Do I think they would take Walker or Hutchinson? That I don't know. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. If, if, I think if they had the first pick in the draft, if Detroit had the first pick in the draft, I think they might take Thibodeau.
3: I think you're right. I think you just nailed that. And I think that's what makes this draft so fascinating. Josh is just the variance, right? I mean, Michael just nailed it. They could take Thibodeau. So that makes it with Neil Hutchinson and Walker, you know, four or five guys that have legitimately been discussed as number one overall player.
6: You're exactly right, Patrick. And you know, to Michael's point, Hutchinson right now is a slight favorite. He's minus one thirty to go second overall, but remember he was like minus 201 points to go first overall. Thibodeau was plus 200. I think as betters, it's fascinating because we don't have that Trevor Lawrence all year expecting him to go one. This thing has gone back and forth, and if you're a better, you got some good numbers. You're probably enjoying this variance while other people might really be thinking it's really frustrating.
3: I think that's the fact. Good, good job, Josh. I, I think what Michael just said is the fascinating aspect. It's Walker or Hutchinson, and there's a big drop. But if you put another team up there like the Lions, it very much could be Thibodeau. That is... That's the draft in a nutshell for betters. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you. for coming back here at Lombardi Line.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
4: Listening to the Lombardi line on V featuring former
0: NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. It's the King of
3: Sportsbooks, Bet MGM loyalty program. So, this is essentially every time you make a wager at BetMGM, MGM, you can earn Bet MGM reward points that you can redeem, you know, whether it's online with the bonus credits or the free risk tokens. But also, if you're just going to a resort nationwide, Bet MGM, uh, you can use them on site. So, it's awesome. It's a great loyalty program. If you're here on the strip in Vegas at any MGM property, it's a great deal. Go to betmgm.com or download the app. 21 years or older, 1-800-GAMBLER if you have an issue. As we welcome you back, we are presented by the uh, BetMGM. It is the Lombardi line. He's Michael Lombardi. I'm Patrick Maher. So three games tonight. We'll start with the Nets. It, 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 you know what's funny about this is like we, we have the evidence in front of us. You know, yeah. and I, I know Will said that he's going to take the over number. I think it's 30, 30 and a half on scoring prop for the Durant tonight. Michael, he's not right. And it, we waited for him to pop in game three. There was no juice there. And it, they're just bullying him, right? I mean, Boston knows yeah, what they're I mean, doing they're, against him.
4: And, and they make adjustments within the game. And I, and I think Nash just can't match it. And so every time you think he's going to get some help, you know, there's no help coming. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how they play, uh, you know, Blake Griffin. I mean, they were counting on Drummond to be the guy for them. And Drummond played like, what, 20 minutes at three points. So he obviously couldn't do what he needed to do. Yeah, my sense of this is, look, I I was all in on Brooklyn two nights ago, figuring that if they were ever going to have it, it was going to be that one. You know, I know they're competitive. I know they'll want, and they'll want to play and do all that. So, you know, I, I think you probably, if you're going to do this, take Boston. And, and if you like Brooklyn, take the money line. I mean, to me, this is a no play for me, only because I can't really figure out Brooklyn. I've been all wrong on them. They've been wrong on themselves. I mean, look, they they did everything in their power. They had to care less about the regular season. They, they had to play in, and now they're going to get swept like truly like an A seed.
3: Here's what I would say about Brooklyn. We've had, what, 85, 86 games where they've revealed who they are now throughout the whole entire year where there were flashes. But you know what I don't, didn't love? Nash, who I understand, he's a former player, two-time MVP. He's protecting Kyrie and KD. But how about the fact that he's like, you know, they've had to play a ton of minutes. They're tired. They Both of them sat out half the season. <laughs> Kyrie didn't yeah. play at home, and Durant was injured he, the whole entire year. So they, how are they tired? Well, they,
4: they re I mean they just basically they, they all they kept saying to everybody is just get us in. Just get us in. That's right. You know what nobody's talking about is everybody's talking about the defense on Durant, right? What about the defense on Tatum? Who's playing defense on him? I mean Tatum was thirteen for twenty nine from the floor. You know? I mean he he, he got thirty nine points in the last game. Brown was nine of sixteen. Like they didn't take anybody out of the game. Right. You know, they didn't take anybody out of the game. They get 10 points off the bench with Pritchard. He plays 12 minutes. You know, so, and now I think Williams will be even better this game. He played 16 minutes the last game. I think he'll be better. Look, the one thing we know for sure is, is, is Boston got their team. They're nine deep. They're playoff ready. I know that, that, that Tatum plays a volume of minutes. He only rested three minutes, but they need him out there. You know, Brown played 38, uh, Marcus Smart played 38, so they're going to get their they get their minutes, but Brooklyn did nothing to prepare themselves for it. And, and this act of desperation to play great Blake Griffin eight minutes when he hasn't played damn near the whole season, strange.
3: And it's fascinating, and you've seen this in football as well, how Udoku now the head coach, everybody believes Stevens to be a brilliant head coach, but the change has also changed something in the team. It's, it's, it's interesting how that works.
4: You know, and they get Horford back, which gives them. I mean, I know he only played 28 minutes, and he was, you know, but he's given them some good dependability, a veteran guy. You know, and Grant Williams comes off the bench, but Odoku, I think he's done a marvelous job. He was on the Sixer bench, you know, and they, and and he ended up going to Brooklyn last year, right? He went to he was in Brooklyn. Yeah, he was last on year. he was
3: on Nash's staff last
4: year. He was on Nash, so the, he loses He loses DeAntoni, and he loses Odoku. Those two really good coaches. That's
3: fair. That's a, actually that's a great point. Um, you know, and I think a little bit too much is being made about Nash. It's like, you know, what are the expectations with a guy that's literally never coached and he was handpicked by KD and Kyrie to babysit? You know, and, exactly. I, and I don't know. I don't know if he inherently has it in him to be a wonderful coach. Who knows? But. I, it's yeah. too much is being put on him. We're
4: not seeing it. We're not seeing no, it. No, we're the not seeing that. You
3: know, but too much is being put on him, Michael. This is KD. KD, orchest- KD took the jo- he took the job with the Nets, K- Kevin Durant, without even talking to management, meaning he declared he was going to play for them without even interviewing with the owner or the GM. So he orchestrated this whole entire thing.
4: It's time for him to step up. It might be too late, but... Come on. It might be too late. I mean, you know, it's too late, and they're not going to change. Look, they're going to change the way they attack him, the way they blitz him on the court, the way they try to force him into – into, and they're going to make other players beat him. And the problem is, you know, for all the talk about, oh, well, Drummond was a good get for them, for all the talk about Seth Curry being a good get for them, those guys really, when it comes half-court basketball, you know, Curry can make shots. He gives up as much on the other end as he get, as he scores for you. So really, they have two players. I mean, they have Curry, they have Kyrie, and they have Durant. And there's no bench. I will save for no
3: particular reason, but I'm going to save the 76ers for last. Let's go Utah, Dallas. Uh, like I said, it, we've got overwhelming handle and money coming in and being reported at BetMGM on Dallas. And Josh mentioned this as well. Yet we're seeing a couple of two and a halfs off the three and a half opener pop up. So something fishy here. A little money coming in on the Jazz with the Mavericks laying two and a half, three here.
4: Well, I think everybody just assumes because the, Je- the Mavericks are going home that they'll be able to take care of this. And, you know, when, and especially considering they had a lead, you know, Saturday afternoon, they have a, a four-point lead with 55 seconds left to go, and they let it slip away. And, and really, they cost them at the free throw line. They missed free throws down the stretch that they should have made, you know. And Luka now back a second game. He played 34 minutes in the last game. He's back. Dinwiddie's got to play better. But here's where it's got to happen. They can't let, they cannot allow Utah to go the line 42 times like they did. I mean, Gobert was there 18 times. Now, he only made 50% of them, but he got 18 shots from free shots. They're 42 free throws attempts. Dallas has got to do a much better job of not fouling. They've got to do a better job of not fouling, and they've got to do a better job of being able to make the shots, and Dimwoody's got to improve to get to the point where he is, and they've got to get back to when Donich was back on the court. I expect them to do that tonight. I really do. I like them, and look, Kleber and Bertrands have got to play to the level that they were playing before Donich got back in there. Just a thought Especially Bertrands. Yeah. Bertrands didn't, you know, he was really good two nights ago. He wasn't good last name. Michael,
3: just a thought on the total. The pace plummeted with Luka back in game four. It hasn't been a very pacey series. You know, when they, when both teams go small, the scoring goes up. But Luka really slowed it down. So I'm kind of looking right here at the 212, 213, maybe under. Remember, in game three, when Luka came back, there were 199 points the score total. This is starting to heat up this series. Obviously, it's 2-2. Two, two, two. Uh, I would look, at if anywhere, on the total to the under. Don't know if you have a thought there. I do,
4: too. I mean, look, and you say, well, Donovan Mitchell can't play as bad as he did. He's 2-for-10 from the three-point line. You know, he was 7-for-21. I think that's Dallas' defense. I, don't th- I think Donovan hasn't been able to get going. Spacing on the court's a problem. He just had not been able to get his shot going. And that's the other thing. I mean, they win that game where, where Mitchell didn't play at his elite level. He was minus four in the game. The guy that killed him in the last game was Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson was the difference in the game. He was the he was the Utah's offense when they needed it. The questions about Mitchell are popping up because he's a
3: wonderful offensive player, but he doesn't defend either. So it's 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 weird with Mitchell who sometimes shows yeah, those. I think a lot of, of this lack of
4: I think a lot of this lack of defense, Patrick, is the pace into which the commissioner's gonna have to handle it is are we going to get players to play through the year and to condition themselves to be able to play both ends? Yeah, I mean, this is just, to me, this is a really serious issue in the NBA. No one wants to talk about it, but there's got to be some way to where they're going to have to solve this, uh, this rest that we're giving players. The, the fans are cheating.
3: I may disagree with you as far as who wins the series, but there is 0% chance I'd lay eight tonight. With the 76ers, there's no chance. What no, do got. What do you too. got on this one?
4: I, I mean, I'm going to take, take the Raptors. I'll take the eight. I would take the money line, and I would bet the Sears. I think, to me, there's going to be a lot of pressure. And if the Raptors get through the first five, ten minutes of this game or get to halftime, I think eventually the pressure will get to Philly.
3: I think you're right. That is well put, because I, I think it's the type of team that rides m- waves of momentum and emotion, and right now the wave is going the other way.
4: They're a front-running team. Doesn't Make are. no mistake about it. They're a front-running team. They are. They've been that way since Obeid's been there. They are a front-running team, and they sometimes they dig down. It surprises you, but they can't maintain that consistency. This is a moment, and they keep talking about his thumb. The more you talk about his thumb, the more you let letting it play into your head.
3: If you're a fan, the best way to describe the 76ers, they're a pain in the ass to, to root for. They really are. They're the, annoying. They're annoying. They're, they're some a teams. They're some, a <laughs> some teams you kind of gravitate towards – like me with the 04 pistons who didn't really have a superstar you just love the team regardless win or lose 76ers it's a hard team to kind of glom onto
4: it's a it's a hard team to love even when they were great with doc and bobby jones there, there was always something
3: round mound of rebound your boy chuck Ooh, love him. it may be better on tv than he was on the court and he was an all-time Man, great on great. the court listen travel great. safely we'll see you when you get here okay i'll see you soon patrick okay, thank, thank you Michael Lombardi.